All right. Thank you, Corey and worship team. So Pastor Steve is on our uh, missions trip to Puerto Rico with our Puerto Rico team. So thanks, thanks to Corey for stepping in to lead worship this morning. Looking forward to hearing all about all the great things God's doing in Puerto Rico when those folks get back. Uh, this morning, before we get started, we've got a few announcements. First is our backpack drive. We are collecting backpacks full of school supplies for uh, the schools in Gloucester. They'll be distributed as needed. So if you have school supplies or backpacks, please drop them off by the 14th. Um, next is our men's rally. This is at the Yorktown campus, August 13th, 8 a.m. Uh, if you need more information, please go to gocoastal.org slash events. All right, everyone do me a favor. Pull out your bulletin. So on your bulletin, on the notes section, you will see at the top, it says Pastor Nate Weiss. I'm obviously not Pastor Nate Weiss. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Brian Briggs. I'm an elder here at this campus. Um, so Pastor Nate called me this morning at 5.30 a.m. and he said, hey, I'm sick. We need to figure out what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to do. <laughs> so here we go. Um, so we were supposed to be concluding our series in the book of James today. So what we're going to do is Pastor Nate's actually going to finish that series next week. Uh, so Zach, I'm hearing a ring. I might be a little loud. So come next week, we'll, we'll wrap up James chapter 5. It's going to be a great sermon. Um, but this week, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. So we see in the opening of the Apostle Peter's letter, he's writing to elect exiles in the dispersion. And what that means is he's writing to Christians that have been spread abroad uh, due to persecution, intense persecution at this time. And in just a few short years, they're actually going to be persecuted by their own government under Emperor Nero. And Peter, the writer of this letter, he's going to be martyred and put to death for his faith not long after he penned this letter. So this is some weighty stuff he's addressing here. And Peter's goal in writing this letter is it's to remind these persecuted Christians that they are chosen by God and that they have a hope in Jesus Christ. He writes to offer them hope and give them instruction for Christian living, despite the many trials that they're facing. So it's the same hope that I want to remind you of this morning. I want to talk to you about the necessity of hope. Last week, Pastor Nate talked about being patient in the midst of suffering. That's hard, isn't it? That's the hardest time to be patient. And it's in those times when we begin to understand and see that Hope is absolutely necessary because when we get in those struggles, those trials, those times of suffering, if we don't have hope, we have no reason to go on. Hopelessness is one of the greatest tragedies in the world. We, we can often be tempted to think, man, is, does this life really matter? <laughs> does, it really, does it really have meaning? What? These things I'm going through, are they serving some kind of ultimate purpose? We begin to struggle with those temptations, those doubts. Maybe you know somebody who's struggled with hopelessness. Maybe you have or you are struggling with hopelessness. This morning, I want to encourage you from First Peter. We cling to dear life for hope because no matter what circumstances we're in, hope is what keeps us moving forward. And people put their hope in all sorts of things, right? They put their hope in money, power, fame, maybe a relationship, put their, their hope in science or medical technology or 
even governments, God help you. We put our hope in, in all sorts of things. But here's the deal. If our hope are in these things, these things are all going to pass away. One day they're all going to be gone. They're all going to be faded away. And if our hope is rooted in those things, then our hope is dead. Our hope is lifeless. But First Peter, First Peter is telling us this morning that we have a living hope as Christians. As believers in, in Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. It's a hope that will never end. It will never fade away. It will never die. It's this living hope that will sustain us until we receive the fullness of our salvation. First Peter 1 Verse, starting in verse three, says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this morning, as we work back through this text, I want to highlight four things for you that Peter tells us about our living hope. First is the cause of living hope. Second is the substance of living hope. Third is the assurance of living hope. And fourth is the joy of living hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word, Lord, that we can be encouraged and challenged by your word. Lord, we need you today. I need you. I thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guard us from error and guide us into all truth this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so firstly, the cause of our living hope, back in verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to what? His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So because of God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, there was this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus began to come to an understanding and awareness of who Jesus was, and he's like, you know, there's more to this Jesus guy than meets the eye. So he, he sneaks off to meet Jesus in the night because he didn't want anyone to see, and he asks him what he must do to be saved. Jesus tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus says, born again? What does that mean? Is a man to, to go into his mother and be born a second time? And I imagine Jesus was like, no, dude, that's weird and gross. That's, 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 you're missing the point here. <laughs> This is what he tells Nicodemus in, in verse eight. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Huh? That's kind of confusing, right? And so 
what Jesus is doing here, it's kind of a, a play on words. He, the original language, the word for spirit is the same word for wind. And so what he's doing here is he's creating a, a metaphor here. He's saying that the work of God's Holy Spirit in regenerating people to be born again, it's as mysterious as the wind. Just as the wind blows where it wishes, the Spirit of God is free to work wherever and whomever he wills. We see the effects of the Spirit, but we can't control him any more than we can control the wind, right? So we need to understand this morning, it's God that alone that has caused us to be born again. The Apostle Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, he said, But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the Apostle Paul also told us in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, all of this is a gift. This is a gift of grace. It's not something you've earned. Why? None of us can boast about it. It's something that God the Father has worked in us. Hebrews 12 tells us that God is both the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and he's going to complete it. And we should take great comfort in that this morning. And beyond that, we should not only just be comforted, but it should cause us to worship. Notice that when Peter begins this portion of our text, he, he begins it by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if he's contemplating these things that he's about to write down and he can't contain himself from praising and worshiping. And he begins this portion of the letter with worship. Jesus said in Luke 7, 47, he was forgiven, little loves little. I would, I would wager there's not a single person in this room who's been forgiven of little. I'm, I know I have not been forgiven of little. And when we rightly understand the weight of what God has done for us in Christ, we can't help but respond with praise and worship, with gratitude. This brings us to our second point this morning, the substance of our living hope. He says, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So just as our savior Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and is now alive, the hope that we put in him is alive. It's a living hope. Death itself could not hold our Savior. Acts 2.24 tells us God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Amen? Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we ourselves will take part in that resurrection at the last day. When Christ comes in his second coming, we, those who have died, will be raised to new life with Christ. Those who are living will be given glorified bodies. We will share in the resurrection, and the inheritance of Christ. And that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
So though everything in this world will perish, will fade away, our houses, our cars, our money, our, our possessions, we look forward to an inheritance that will never perish and will never fade away. It doesn't matter what happens in this life with the economy, how high gas prices get. It doesn't matter who's at war with who. All that matters is this inheritance that we have. Nothing can take that away from you, church. Nothing in this life can take an inheritance away from those who have been caused to be born again by God our Father. Not even taxes can take that away. I think maybe that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, thieves will break in and steal. I'm waiting to see what kind of crowd I'm in. <clears throat> when you are tempted to get caught up in the cares and the worries of the material aspects of this life, and we all are, right? We're all tempted to get caught up in that stuff. Remember the substance of your hope is your eternal reward in Christ. It's kept in heaven for us. God himself has reserved this inheritance for us. He keeps it and he protects it. Which brings us to the assurance of living hope. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter tells us we are being guarded by God's power. So God is not only guarding our inheritance for us, he's guarding us for our inheritance. Isn't that cool? He's guarding us and keeping and preserving us so that we may obtain the inheritance that he's guarding and keeping for us. It's God that perseveres us. And I can tell you with full certainty, if it were up to us to earn or keep our salvation, we would mess it up. We would lose it. I know for a fact I would. But it's God who guards us. And how does he do this? He does this by his power and through our faith, Peter tells us. So we have a part to play in this. We have a role to play in this as well. It's God who perseveres us. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we overcome the world through our faith, which is born of God and is used by God to guard us. That's what Peter's telling us. God has birthed this in you, and now he's going to use that, that faith that he's given you, to persevere you. This is how we have an active role in the will of God. We see an example in the life of Peter. As we read through the Gospels, we see Peter's faith journey is a little up and down, right? We see both extremes in Peter's faith journey. One minute, Peter's walking on water. The next minute, he's sinking because of doubt. We see uh, one minute, he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah, which no one had ever really said out loud before. And then the next minute, he's rebuking Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then at the Last Supper, Peter tells Jesus, I'll die before I deny you. And what does he do a few short hours later? Denies him three times. But what did Jesus say to Peter when he predicted his denial? In Luke chapter 22, he said, Simon, Simon, which is another name for Peter, 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter fell, but he did not fall finally. Why? Because Jesus Christ was interceding on his behalf. We've talked about this quite a bit at Coastal. It's such an important uh, doctrine for us to understand. Peter's faith did not fail because Jesus was praying for him. The same reason that the faith of all who are truly born again will not fail. Thomas Watson said this, There is nothing that troubles more a child of God than that he fears he shall never hold out. These weak legs of mine, he says, will never carry me to heaven. But he is kept by the power of God. Once in Christ, forever in Christ. A believer may fall away from some degree of grace, but not from the state of grace. So we are being guarded for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, what does Peter mean when he says the last time? So there's aspects of our salvation that are present tense, right? We're, we're justified before God. We're made right before God now. But we haven't seen the full reality of it yet, and we won't until Christ returns. And so he's talking about at the last time when we will see the full consummation of this salvation. Christ is coming. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming to reward his people. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to punish and he's going to reward. We need to seriously contemplate that day. That day is coming. And for the righteous... For those who are born again of God, our salvation will finally be revealed in that last time. That's our hope, church. Don't feel as, as though you are uh, on your own to earn this salvation, but this morning I want to uh, challenge you to rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in what Christ has done on your behalf. Rest in the ongoing work of his intercession for you. Have hope that you will be vindicated in the last time. This brings us to our fourth point this morning, the joy of living hope, verses six through eight. He says, in this, you rejoice. When he says, in this, he's referring back to everything he's just said. So because God's the cause of living hope, because our inheritance is uh, the substance of our living hope, and because we have an assurance of living hope, we what? We rejoice. This word here for rejoice, it literally means to jump up and down with joy. It's not a fleeting temporal happiness. This is a deep, abiding, and emphatic joy in our soul. It's not something we can conjure up on our own or that circumstances will bring us. It's a deep, uh, abiding joy that only a relationship with Christ, only a hope of an inheritance with Christ can bring us. For example, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are out doing ministry. There's this young girl who's demon-possessed, and she's being used by uh, people with these demonic powers to do things and earn money, and, and Paul and Silas cast that demon out of her. And so now these people that have been benefiting from her circumstances, they're upset, and they have them thrown in prison. So Paul and Silas are now sitting in prison, and what do you think they're doing? The text tells us they're singing hymns and praising God while they're sitting in what I imagine was a pretty horrific prison. And so uh, it says when they're, do when they're doing this, an earthquake happens. It shakes the doors open, and all the chains fall off the prisoners. And what happens is the, the Philippian jailer, he comes, 
And he sees that the doors are open and he goes, oh no, everybody's escaped. And he, what does he do? He draws his sword and he goes to kill himself. Because I can imagine whatever fate was awaiting him for losing all the prisoners was much worse than killing himself. And Paul says, wait, don't harm yourself. We're still here. We're still here. And then we see in verse 30, it says, then he brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So here's a man who did not know God and was mere seconds away from taking his own life. And now just a few moments later, he's rejoicing with these apostles because he's had an opportunity to believe and trust in the one true God. Isn't that incredible? So I want to challenge us this morning. If our life is not marked by this kind of rejoicing, there's a problem. There's a problem, and we ought to question whether or not we fully understood the living hope that we have in Christ. Perhaps we ought to question whether or not we've been born again at all. Going to church your entire life does not make you born again. Your good works do not make you born again. And so I think many of us are in danger of forgetting, forgetting this hope we have in Christ and being tempted to believe uh, in the futility of life rather than putting our hope and our trust in Christ and the living hope that he gives us. You may be thinking, well, if you only knew what I'm going through, if you knew my situation, I think there's an exception for me. You'd understand why I don't feel like rejoicing. And here's what Peter says in verse 6. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though now, for a little while, What's a little while? What does that mean? It's a relative term. Now for a little while. And I think what Peter is pointing to here is the brevity of this life. He's, he's causing us to consider how short this life really is. In comparison to eternity, this life is just a little while. This life is just a little while. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal so notice in our, our main text today, Peter says these words. He says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And I want to tell you this morning, don't skip over those two words. 
Those two simple words should bring us uh, an immense amount of comfort. Because those two words, if necessary, tell us something very important this morning. They tell us that all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our grief, all of our trials, they're not random. They're not meaningless. It's not just chance happening upon you. It's doing something. It's got meaning. There's a purpose behind it. The Lord is using it to produce something in you. The Lord is purifying you. He's purifying your faith. You may ask the question, necessary for what? It better be something really good. Verse 7 tells us, so that the tested genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He compares our faith to the refining fire. Gold is purified in the fire by burning away all the impurities. In much the same way, our faith is purified when we go through trials. God is with us in the fire. He's purifying our faith. Even the purest gold, Peter says, will perish. How much more precious and valuable to our God is a faith that will never perish. Hope is what enables us to persevere despite any circumstances we face. I read a really powerful illustration uh, about the power of hope in adversity. Now, this was a <clears throat> in the 1950s, Johns Hopkins uh, University a scientist there conducted an experiment about the power of hope. Quick disclaimer, this experiment did involve animal cruelty, which I do not condone. The 1950s were a different time. But the results of this experiment are so fascinating that I think we can learn something from it. So what this scientist did is he took a group of rats, and one by one he put the rats in a jar of water, and he timed how long they would struggle to survive. First group of rats made it about 15 minutes, and they gave up. So he got a second group of rats, put them in the water. They, too, get struggled for about 15 minutes, and they gave up. But the second group of rats, he pulled back out. He dried them off. He gave them something to eat. He let them rest, and then he put them back in. You know how long they stayed the second time? Not 15 minutes. Not 15 hours, 60 hours, these rats fought and struggled to survive. 60 hours. And what he was trying to prove is the, the power of hope. When you're in a situation that seems hopeless, your tendency is going to be to give up. But what the second group had, they had a hope of being rescued. They knew there's some guy who's going to pull me out of this thing. And so they continue to fight and struggle. And you can only carry that so far, but as, as human beings, we have an even greater ability to perceive the hope that we have in Christ. And if you're going through this life without hope and you feel like you're about to give up, know that the hope that Christ offers can cause you to persevere far beyond anything you thought possible, far beyond anything that you could conjure up within yourself. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, he says, if Christ hasn't been raised, 
we are to be among the most pitied in all the world. What he's saying is, if we don't have the hope of the resurrection of Christ, if we don't have the hope of an inheritance with Christ, we're no better off than a group of drowning rats. John Bunyan once wrote, he said, hope has a thick skin and it will endure many a blow. It will put on patience as a vestment. It will wade through a sea of blood. It will endure all things if it be of the right kind for the joy that is set before it. Hence, patience is called patience of hope because it is hope that makes the soul exercise patience and long-suffering under the cross until the time comes to enjoy the crown. Many of you in this room or maybe watching online have no doubt been through many trials, much suffering. As I look out in the room today, some of you I know your struggles. Some of you I know the situations you've been through or are currently going through. Some people watching online, I know you're not here today because of these, these trials. I don't take that lightly. I don't say these things without that in the back of my mind. I can tell you in my own life, the loss that my wife and I have been through, things like that, the only thing that got us through was our hope. The only thing that got us through was our hope is 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. That's the only difference, is the hope we have in Christ. So remember, your trials and your grief, they're producing in you a genuine faith. Verse 7 tells us our genuine faith results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whose praise, glory, and honor is he talking about there? Most good Christians are going to say, well, Jesus, of course. He's actually talking about us. He's saying we will share in the praise and the glory and the honor of Christ at that last time. That's our living hope, church. This is why as Christians, we can experience true joy in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, good and bad. Sometimes good circumstances are even more dangerous, even more likely to pull us away from the Lord. And sometimes we get on the other side of a trial and we say, thank you, God, for what you taught me through that. Thank you, God, for what you did in me, the way you purified me in that. We can walk through all sorts of things like that because we have a hope for the future. As Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Worship team's going to come. We're going to close. Verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's writing to those who did not see the risen Lord with their own eyes, though many did in that day. First Corinthians tells us, many did see the risen Lord, but these did not. And though they had not seen him, they not only believed him, but they loved him. In John chapter 20, disciple Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And after he'd seen, and after he'd believed, Jesus said this to him in verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
This describes us, church. We are those that have believed that we have not seen. And taking a step farther than that, we not only believe, but we love. How do you know you're born again? Do you believe? Do you love the Lord? Are you seeing him producing these things in you? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves this morning. Peter says we're obtaining the salvation of our souls. We're currently obtaining it. It's present tense. And at the last day, we will fully obtain it when Christ returns. This is our hope. This is why we can rejoice with a joy that Peter says is inexpressible and filled with glory. So as we leave today, I want to just give you these reminders. Remember these things and live in light of the reality of these things. First, God alone has caused you to be born again unto a living hope. Second, your eternal inheritance is the substance of your living hope. You have assurance of living hope because God in Christ is guarding your soul. And you have the joy of living hope no matter what trials you face because God is using them to purify your faith so that you may obtain the salvation of your soul. If you're with us today, maybe in the room or maybe watching online, and you would say, I don't know what it means to have this hope. I don't feel like I have this living hope. We have members of our prayer team, if you want want to come up now. And if you're not comfortable coming up in front of everybody to get prayer, that's fine. Just make a mental note of who they are and get with them after, or you can talk to me or whoever. But if you don't have this living hope, we would love to talk to you about what it means to have living hope in Christ. And for those of you that have put your faith and your trust in Christ, you are believing in Christ. You are loving Christ. You've been caused to be born again. You have an eternal inheritance. You have an assurance of your faith and you have the joy that's set before you. If that's you this morning, remember, remember your living hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the joy that comes from your hope. Sometimes the joy is the hardest part. But Lord, when we fully understand and we fully realize what you've done for us and the hope we have in you, God, I pray this church would be overflowing with joy, worship, and gratitude towards you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.